So, as Rich said, I'm Kev. I work with the children here. It's an amazing privilege to be able to do that. Um, but before I go on to my talk, um, I just want to honor Carol and Gord. Um, stand up for us, guys. Um, Carol, I've had the privilege of working with for the last three and a half years something like that. And Carol and Gord um, have been such a blessing to us here at the church, and they're moving um, back to Canada, and Carol's going to be working with a charity in Canada and in Mexico. Um, so it is, it's, it's extremely sad to see them go. Um, but actually, as we, as we were talking about it as staff, one thing that Chris always says over and over again is actually we give of our best. Um, and it would, be, it would be remiss of us to begrudge them going because they are some of our best and we want to bless other people with them. So it has been a real privilege, Carol and Gord, to have you around. We are going to miss you. This morning, every time I walked in the office, I expected Carol to be there, and, and she wasn't, so it was a little bit sad. But I did get an email from your mum, so I'll forward that to you later. All her emails are forwarded to me now. Um, so it was very bizarre. Anyway, um, but the exciting thing is, we have appointed somebody new to come and work with the children here at the vineyard. Um, we're just going to hold on to um, who that is for a little bit, just because I want to email the team for first and the parents, um, and then, um, and then we'll, um, we'll let the rest of the church know. But it is really exciting because um, the lady that we've appointed is equally fantastic, and she's going to bring some very different things into the children's ministry, and I think the children's ministry is going to continue to grow under, under this person. So I'm really excited for what the future holds, so just watch this space. So today we are starting a brand new series on Exodus. And last week, Chris spoke on the Easter story and how Jesus died, how he took our punishment, and actually that punishment that we deserve. And we know the verse in, in John 3:16 so well. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not die, but have eternal life. So because of what Jesus did on the cross, we are redeemed. No longer destined for, um, for death, but an eternal life with God. So we're going to be thinking about this idea, this concept of redemption. And redemption is the action of being saved, being saved from sin, as we call it. And that very thing that we have been celebrating over this Easter period. And we're going to look at two redemption stories from the book of Exodus. Um, the first, the Passover, and the second, the crossing of the Red Sea. So before I get into that, I'm just going to pray, um, and then we'll see what God has to say to us. Okay, let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we have been able to celebrate over Easter, celebrate your redemption, um, the way that you died on the cross for us. And I pray, Lord, as we look at Exodus this morning, that you will open our eyes afresh. You will see our need. You'll help us to see our need for redemption and our need for you. So, Lord, I pray that you bless us, you'd open our ears and our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so if you get time, I would um, encourage you to read Exodus. Um, I'm, I'm actually covering chapters 3 to 14 this morning, um, so quite a big chunk. Um, I'm not going to read it all, um, you'll, you'll be glad to hear, so I will summarize a lot of what happened. So there was God's people, the Israelites, 
And they moved into Egypt at the time um, when Joseph was around. Many of us will know the story of Joseph, made famous in the West End um, by um, Joseph and his amazing Technicolor dream coat, um, which I love that. I love that. Um, but anyway, it's such an amazing story, but do have a read of it. So the Israelites, God's people, they moved into Egypt at that time. And the Bible tells us that God blessed them, that as God blessed them, they multiplied as a nation. They grew and they grew and they grew. The Pharaoh that was there at the time he died, a new pharaoh came into power, um, and he started to get a little bit panicky. He was like, well, we have all these foreigners in our land, the Israelites, that are multiplying, growing. They're becoming a huge nation, and he was starting to get really nervous. So what he decided to do was that he was going to put the entire nation into slavery to keep them at bay so that they wouldn't rise up and um, overtake him and um, take the land for themselves. So he was very nervous. That's why he put um, um, the, um, the Israelites into slavery. And this is where we pick up our story. So God's people had been in slavery for some 430 years. Life must have been fairly miserable for them. Um, we don't know exactly what it was like. We know they were building. We know they were into construction. Um, but I think it was probably fairly miserable because they were slaves. So there's God's people. They are slaves. But God's people, because they're in slavery, they cry out to God. And we read in Exodus chapter 2. Um, it says, The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. So God's people in slavery, they cry out because they're being oppressed because of their slavery. And God had a plan. God had a plan for his people. There was this guy, Moses, that he raised up. Many of us know the story of Moses. Um, and there, there's, it's a, as I say, a very long story, um, but it's an exciting story. And God sent all these plagues on Egypt, and he sent Moses in to be a voice for his people. So God sent these plagues, and each time, Pharaoh said, no, I'm not letting your people go. Um, they're my slaves. And if you think about it for him, he was like, they're doing all my building work for me. I don't have to pay them. Um, and he, he was in a great position. He didn't want to get rid of his slaves. But actually, each time um, another plague came, um, Pharaoh said no. But God had an ultimate plan towards the end of the plagues. He knew that his people would be set free, but they had to go through this process. And God's plan was that he was going to pass through Egypt, and he was going to kill the firstborn males of every household. It was God's judgment on Egypt. It was God's judgment on people. And this would include the death of Pharaoh's son. And ultimately, then it would free the Israelites. We're going to watch a clip from The Prince of Egypt. An amazing film. I love it. Um, sorry, I'm a children's worker, so it's a cartoon this morning. Um, but um, it just shows us so visually, so well, the process that God's people had to go through to avoid death of their um, firstborn males. So let's watch that clip. So 
So I think that clip really helps us just to visually see what happened. So God's people, there they were in Egypt as slaves. They'd cried out to God, but God had this plan. God's people, they had to kill a lamb. They had to sacrifice a lamb. They then had to take the blood from the lamb and paint it on the lintels of their door as a sign. Some um, translations say almost as a token Um, But there was this sign so that as God passed throughout Egypt, he would see that a lamb had been sacrificed, and then he would pass over that household. Death would not come to that household. See, God's judgment was coming. Death was inevitable. Within every household, something had to die. But God had a plan for his people. Instead of his people dying... His people could sacrifice a lamb on their behalf. Then then painting the blood on the lintels of the door was that visual sign that a sacrifice had happened, that death had happened, and that they were safe inside. They were God's people. The lamb died instead of them. God's people were redeemed. They were no longer subject to death. And this event was huge in the um, lives of the Israelites. It was a catalyst that actually brought them freedom from slavery. It was the, um, the event that meant that Pharaoh set them free. He redeemed his people. The blood on the doors was a visible mark of their salvation, of their redemption. It was what set them apart from the Egyptians. It was what made them different. And my question is, what mark do we carry? What sets us out as Christians? How do we stand out? What is visible about what Jesus has done in our lives? So that's the Passover. So God's redemption. But from the Passover, then came the crossing of the Red Sea. And you can see this circuit um, on the screen of what happened. And God's people then went back up to the top in this circuit. So they were leaving Egypt. They left in a hurry um, because they wanted to get out of slavery. It was their ticket to freedom. And they were so excited about this. And actually, I never thought through the implications of moving a nation Now, I I struggle sometimes to move the 60 kids in Ventureland around, um, but let alone an entire nation. I met with Richard and Anine this week. Anine is preaching next week and Richard the week after. And we were just discussing what we were preaching and and this little mini-series that we're doing. Um, And Anine said something which actually struck me. She said that there is an estimate that the nation that moved was roughly about 2 million people. Two million. That's like a quarter of, a, of London. If we had to evacuate a quarter of London, or the entire greater Manchester, if that had to be evacuated. And that's not going to be something that happens in an instant, is it? It's going to take a little bit of time. But these two million people left their homes um, and they left Egypt. They were redeemed by the blood of that lamb and they left Egypt. Egypt. 
Now, God knew that his people were fragile. He knew that they were on edge. So when he took them into the desert, he took, started them on a long journey through the desert because there, was, um, there were other nations that they would have passed. And God knew that if they got to those nations and they faced war, which is likely to happen, that the people would have then retreated back into Egypt as slaves. So God, even in the, the direction that he led his people, he was safeguarding them, he was protecting them. God was with his people the entire way. In Exodus chapter 13, starting at verse 21, we read this. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night a pillar of fire to give them light, so they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. And what I think is so amazing about that is that as the people walked, as the entire nation, the two million people were walking, they could see this visual cloud in front of them. They could see at night this pillar of fire which said to them, God is with us. And how exciting is that? It was a phenomenon. It's not often that we see a pillar of um, fire just wandering around St. Albans. It was a phenomenon that they knew was God and they knew that God was with them. And I think that's quite exciting. Now, there was Pharaoh. He was, um, um, I don't know where he was sat, somewhere. Um, and he was just watching the nation moving around the desert. And he, um, he got to a point where he must have realized what he'd done, that he'd just got rid of his entire workforce. Um, so he's probably going to go into administration um, as a company. Um, but he wanted either his people back or he wanted revenge because of his son dying. So he went after the Israelites. He got his best army together, his entire army, his best chariots, um, no expense spared. He went after the Israelites. The Israelites were camped out by, um, on, um, by the Red Sea, and they were just waiting, and they were camped there. And we're going to read a passage from Exodus chapter 14, which tells us the next part of this story that many of us know so well. So uh, chapter 14, starting at verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. Then Moses said, um, they, sorry, they said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us into the desert to die? What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm. Then you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites, move on. Raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide the waters so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go um, in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen." 
Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of um, Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided. So God's people were back in this situation where they were back in their circuit. God's people this time were in danger of death. They'd moved out of slavery, but they were facing imminent death. They saw the Egyptian army coming. They were terrified. They were freaked out. We read in verse 10, they, they were just crying out to God. They were crying out to Moses. They said, we don't want to die. It would have been better for us to be slaves than to die here. They blamed Moses for taking them out of Egypt. Their faith in God and their trust in God had started to waver when they faced the Egyptian army, when they faced death. So God's people, second, cry out. In verse 10 again, we see them looking to God for salvation, for redemption, for an escape. They didn't know what to do. They were stuck in this place, at this water's edge, the Egyptian army, the other side of them, um, and they didn't know what to do. My instinct would be, let's hide, but we're on a beach, um, and there's two million of us, so it's not going to be the best game of sardines in the world. But they couldn't do that. So... Um, They looked to Moses, their leader. They looked to God um, for help. But God had a plan. Moses stood in front of the Israelites, and I just could imagine Moses standing there with all these people, um, and he encouraged them. Let's read verse 13 again. It says, Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. So Moses did this really exciting speech. It's heart-wrenching. It's going to be okay, guys. And then the next verse on. Um, is actually quite amusing because it's almost as though Moses then does this big speech to the people, then he turns to God and he's like, God, what are we going to do? You've got to help us out here. Um, and then God is like, why, why are you coming to me? Just, just move on. Come on, get up, go. And then Moses, I can imagine, was sitting there thinking, okay, God, what do I do? There's the Egyptians here and water here. Where do you want me to go? Hmm? And it's, it's so, such a contrast from his exciting speech Before that, but they looked at the waters, and with God, nothing is impossible. I was really excited um, yesterday when I was just doing some final preps of the talk that um, I realized actually this morning in the children's ministry, we're teaching them that nothing is impossible with God. We started this exciting new series on superheroes, um, and I am super excited about it. I'm a little bit gutted I'm missing it this morning. Um, But actually, they're learning today that with God, nothing is impossible, which is what um, God was saying to the Israelites at that point. He was like, yeah, there's a little bit of water in front of you, but with me, nothing is impossible. And as we stand there, as we stand in here, and we look out to our next project, some people have said, that's impossible, raising 1.4 million, impossible. Actually, it's not, because with God, nothing 
is impossible. So we go on with that growing family campaign, that adventure, knowing that we're not doing it alone, knowing that God is ahead of us. He's in that pillar of cloud. He's walking in front of us. He's preparing the way. And we know, because we read in Scripture, that nothing is impossible with God. Okay, so God had a plan. We're back to our circuit. Um, God then redeemed his people. The Bible tells us that God actually stood in the gap when he redeemed his people. So in this story, we see almost like two mini versions of redemption, of him saving his people. So we read in verse 19, Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel." So as I said, the cloud and the fire, they were representations of God. That was where God was with his people. But then one thing that I I hadn't really noticed until I was preparing this talk was that there's another little character in here, the angel of God. And actually, the angel of God is the second person in the Trinity. So Jesus, as we know him from the New Testament forwards. So actually... When within, this, within the cloud of fire, there was this second person of the Trinity, there was Jesus. And what I found really exciting was that when God's people were facing death, they were facing um, capture by the Egyptians, God wasn't just going to stand there and let that happen. Then the angel of God first went over and stood between them And between the Israelites and the Egyptians, he was protecting them. And then God then went over and then filled that void, standing in that gap, making sure the Israelites were covered and were protected. And I just thought that's such an awesome picture of God's protection of God. But not only just God, there was the second person of the Trinity. There was Jesus standing in that gap, redeeming his people. Then Moses did the whole kind of stretching out staff, parting of the waters, all that kind of stuff, and they walked through. We know that we know the story. Um, and that's the second exciting part of re- the redemption story because there was this, there was this um, big void of water. They couldn't do anything. They didn't have enough boats to start shipping people across, like three people at a time. It would have taken forever, but God just drove the waters apart with a great east wind. I was discussing the tour with my wife, um, and she said to me, how tough would that have been if there was an east wind that was separating the waters to then walk through that? Because I, I often think um, the waters parted, there was a nice tarmac road, and they just sort of walked through. Um, But it wouldn't have been like that. A huge east wind that kept those waters apart for the people to walk through. And it probably would have been a little bit rough. Um, But they didn't care. They were going through that water to um, get um, to the other side to be safe away from the Egyptians. It was their escape plan. It was God's redemption. The Bible tells us that after this, the people were so excited that they hadn't died, obviously, as you would be, um, that they worshipped God. They turned to God in worship, and they praised him for what he'd done, for his redemptive power on them. And then we see in the um, the rest of the story, um, if you carry on reading, that the waters then fell in on the Egyptian army. And the Bible tells us that not um, not one Egyptian that had gone out after the Israelites had um, survived. It was God's judgment on the people of Israel. 
Then throughout the whole of the Old Testament, if we go back to the the circuit, um, we see this happening over and over again. God's people constantly being in danger, so death, slavery, whatever it may be. Throughout the whole of the Old Testament, we see this. We then see people, um, God's people crying out to God. Um, We then see God having a plan, and that's either himself intervening or God sending somebody to redeem his people. His people are then redeemed, and then unfortunately they go back into this circuit over and over and over again. But as we read these two stories, as we understand the redemptive power in these stories, we see actually our need for redemption. We see that we were in that place, um, pre-being Christians, of death, of an eternal death, where we're slaves to sin, like the, um, the Israelites were slaves, like the Israelites were facing death. That is us. We are at that point where we're facing death. Death is inevitable. So the hope is that we realize that, we see that, and then we cry out to God. And we say, God, we need you. And that's that point where we become a Christian. That's that point where we actually give our lives over to God and say, hey, God, I can't do this on my own. I know that death is inevitable. I know that I will have to die. But I can't take that. Take that punishment for me. And that's where God steps in and he rescues us. So just like the Israelites cried out time and time and time again, we cry out to God. God had a plan and that was in Jesus. And we heard the story last week, didn't we? And we hear it every Easter. Jesus dying on the cross, taking the punishment for the sins um, that we have committed, the punishment that we deserve. So Jesus' blood was shed on our behalf. And it's the same as the Passover story, isn't it? So for those people, the Israelites in, um, in Egypt to avoid death, they had to slaughter a lamb. Something had to die. But for us, for me, for you guys that know Jesus, we don't have to die, do we? Because Jesus has done that for us. Death has happened. Death has happened. Jesus shed his blood for you and for me. No longer Destined for death, but eternity with Jesus and with God. We are then redeemed. We can have this new life with God. We can um, have eternal life because of what Jesus did on the cross. No longer do we have to face death. And I don't know about you, but knowing what Jesus did on the cross, and on Good Friday we watched the Passion of the Christ here, um, and it's so, it's so moving, isn't it? To actually see what God um, did through Jesus, what Jesus took for us. And I just think, I can't do anything to actually repay that. There's nothing I can do apart from give my life to Jesus and worship him and be grateful for what Jesus has done on that cross for me. I think often in life we um, go through this circuit um, that we see on the screen, um, but we need to get to that point where we're realizing that we have messed up. We need to get to that point where we cry out to God because there's nothing that we can do. We need to get to that point where we Um, accept God's redeeming power. And actually, if you're sat here this morning and you're not a Christian and you've never experienced 
the redemptive power of God through Jesus, then we want to talk to you after the service. We want to pray with you. If, you, if something inside you is saying, I want that. I want to know what that freedom is like. No longer to be in this circuit, to be bound by sin, um, but I want to be free. Then we would love to pray for you and talk to you a little bit more about that. But actually, the really exciting thing, if you have been through that circuit and you have given your life to Christ, if you've become a Christian, then the exciting thing is that we're no longer part of that cycle. We have been redeemed totally. And in the story that we read today, um, it was all the time before Jesus was around in the Old Testament. And the Israelites, they would regularly need to sacrifice something for their redemption. But actually, we have a one and for all sacrifice, and that's through Jesus. So our circuit is no longer. It's a word. We are redeemed. And we read in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in body, but made alive in spirit. See, Jesus came as that once for all sacrifice. So for us here in St. Albans Vineyard, 2014, we are redeemed because we are Christians, because we've accepted Jesus's um, sacrifice for us. Never again to need redemption because it's continuous. Jesus died that once and for all for us. So we step outside of that circuit, as I said, um, and Jesus died for our sins, past and present. We're still going to get things wrong. We're still going to mess up. I do it on a daily basis. Um, but I know that Jesus died for those things that I do wrong. I know that Jesus has forgiven me. And I constantly take those things to Jesus and say, hey, God, I'm sorry. I've messed up yet again. But no one can condemn us once we've been redeemed. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 33, who will bring you any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who redeems. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Amen. 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 Thank you guys for listening so well. Um, Nobody talked, which was great. Um, so I'm used to working with children, um, so it's, it's a blessing. Um, if the worship team would like to come up, um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to just reflect a little bit on God's redeeming power. So let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you so much that you stood in that gap for us, that you took the punishment for the sins that we have committed, for those sins past and those sins in the future, that you have redeemed us. And I pray, Lord, that that would be our mark, that would be our blood on the lintels of our doors, that we would, in everything, we would reflect that redemptive power of Jesus in our lives. And I pray, Lord, for those people here this morning that don't know your redemptive power. I pray that even now, and as we worship you, that you will be speaking into their hearts that they would cry out to you and they would receive your redemption. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
करते हैं 